Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. And today I'm joined with Dr. Lee Warren, who is a neurosurgeon and writer. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondick. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. If you're a longtime listener or your first episode, if you're brand new to the show, uh, it's great to have you here. And if you've already tuned in a few times, if you wouldn't mind leaving an iTunes or Google Play review, it would be much appreciated for the support of this podcast and so that others can hear these messages. In today's conversation, I speak with Dr. Lee Warren. He's an author of numerous books, with his most latest being I've Seen the End of You, a neurosurgeon's look at faith, doubt, and the things we know. Um, Dr. Warren has a very interesting backstory um, into his path and work now as a neurosurgeon and writer. Um, and in, in this book, in which we talk about in this episode, is dealing with an illness that has a nearly 0% uh, survival rate. So what happens when you're in the face of death, something that we all have to deal with, um, and for some of the patients that Dr. Warren has been with it's been really a life changing experience so he he tells a bit more about the role of hope um how the the promise of a better future uh impacts the way that we can manage and really get through uh this this immense suffering um and talks a little bit more about his writing uh his journaling and how this has been really fruitful for him, um, and a whole lot more. Uh, I, I'm excited for this conversation, and we'll turn on over to my talk with Dr. Lee Warren. Lee, thanks so much for joining me in the Guys Like Us podcast today. Tyler, it's an honor to be with you. Thanks. Thank you. Um, so you're you're fresh off uh, your latest release now, and I, I'd love to get to that in a moment. Um, but but first, I want to hear uh, a bit more about your your background and some experiences that uh, can hopefully kind of preface the the work that you're doing and, and give it a little bit more context. Can you can you share kind of briefly about your path path uh, to a, to a neurosurgeon and a writer? Sure. Um, I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma. Um, grew up in the church. Uh, my parents always taught me that whatever happens in your life you find the answers to the big questions in the word of god and so that gave me a good footing uh for things i would go through later um i went to college and then got a scholarship from the air force for medical school actually so went to med school um and when i was serving my active duty time later um in 2004 um, i was deployed to the iraq war as a combat neurosurgeon so i spent uh, some time in iraq in 2004 and 2005 um did about 200 brain surgeries in a tent hospital got mortared a bunch of times we were getting mortared in iraq did a lot during those those times Mm -hmm. of the war and then uh came home and um went through a number of you know personal challenges in my life as i've written about and um uh i guess i skipped medical school didn't i (laughs) 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 went to med school and and uh 
then I did a residency in Pittsburgh in neurosurgery before I started my active duty time. So um, became a brain surgeon and spine surgeon, and then that's uh, why they allowed me to go do all those surgeries in the tent hospital. Yeah. <laughs> I left yeah. out, um, oh, and then uh, and then uh, kind of came home, and after the war, um, struggled a lot with some of the things that I had experienced uh, in the war and in learning how to. Um, sort of unpack all of that um my wife uh, convinced me that uh, writing about it and journaling about it would help so i ended up writing a, my first book which is honored and published in 2014 uh, called no place to hide um and then um that book helped me sort of process helped a lot of veterans i think process uh, PTSD and some yeah. of the things that, that occurred from the war and then um, I've written another book now so that kind of gets us up to the modern times oh fantastic thank you and I, I'm sure that medical school can the, I know it's quite hectic and so it can I'm sure it can be a blur at, at some at you know when you're kind of in, in the thick of it um, but uh, yeah. v- very very interesting of, of kind of how you've gotten to where you are today and um, you mentioned, uh, you know, journaling and writing, and I think that's something that has been really impactful for me and a lot of people and being able to reflect and, and, um, just kind of hear how God's been working in your life and, um, and just some of these, these really profound experiences. Can you, can you, you kind of, uh, rehashed a few different times in your life. Can you, can you share maybe how the meaning of, uh, I think death in particular, as this, as your book alludes to has um has changed from your time you know being in war and and then um i i i you know i was reading a bit more into into your backstory i know that um you lost your son as well um and then and then into your profession now as a neurosurgeon yeah so um in war you know in the united states we when doctors talk about triage we mean something different than we mean when we're in a combat situation. Triage in America basically means you have a bunch of people in the emergency room and who's going to get seen first, but everybody's going to get seen, right? Everybody's going to get taken care of. Um, In the war, it was, you know, a bomb would go off and we'd have 10 surgeons and 40 people that would show up at the same time blown up. And and we'd literally have to decide this guy's got a better chance to survive. So we're going to operate on him and that other guy might bleed to death while we're doing that. And so, uh, in the war, it was a very, um, daily immersion into mm-hmm. losing people and having no capacity to help them mm-hmm. because we ran out of blood or we didn't mm-hmm. have enough instruments or one person was sicker and needed to go sooner. And mm-hmm. so, um, I had a kind of a, uh, an encounter with, uh, being around a lot of people in their dying hours and moments, um, and doing everything we could to help and sometimes being helpless to do anything for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, in private practice in neurosurgery, we, we see a lot of people that have traumas and accidents and suicide attempts and, you know, people shoot themselves in the head mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. So we still deal with some of that trauma, but we also deal with things like brain tumors, and cancers, yeah. Yeah. And, and people who are receiving news that I've got to deliver news that you've got a terminal diagnosis. Mm. And so one of the things that happened to me as a Christian who's also a brain surgeon yeah. is that there's this particular brain tumor called glioblastoma. 
that is basically 100% fatal. Like essentially, the average survival is about 12 months, 12 to 15 months, and then the median, you know, the, the five-year survival is less than 10%, and the 10-year survival is essentially zero. The old joke used to be if he's got a 10-year survivor, he probably made the wrong diagnosis. So when I would see this person, I'd look at their scan, I would see that brain tumor, and I would just see in my mind the path that this person was going to take. I would say to myself, you know, I've seen the interview. I know what's going to happen to you. And, and so the story that I wrote about came out of this notion that I, I had this problem of my faith telling me, the Bible telling me that God can heal and I'm supposed to pray without ceasing and I'm supposed to believe that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man can avail much, James 5, 16. And yet at the same time, science says this particular tumor, God never heals. And so I had this this conundrum, what do I do when the things I think I know from science clash up against what I'm supposed to believe? Yeah, and... uh... You, you, you kind of alluded to this and you're as a surgeon you uh, think through the you know a scientific view, viewpoint looking at symptoms and and then um, you know establishing a treatment plan and um, and and that can clash with um, what it can clash but it, I think you can also find uh, make sense in some capacity of how a Christian how as a Christian that impacts or rather how, how you see it a little bit differently. Can you kind of talk about, the, you know, seeing people as a patient and kind of having to navigate seeing them as a, you know, seeing them maybe a little bit deeper, uh, whether that's through compassion or I'm just curious to see how you kind of uh, break that, that barrier that can seem like, you know, you're just dealing with, with, with another patient. Yeah, so I think the thing that helped me the most there is my wife Lisa and I, when we lived in Alabama, so when I got out of the military, I went to Auburn, Alabama, we were in private practice, and, and Lisa ended up running our practice. The first office manager we hired didn't work out, so Lisa stepped in, and she's a great businesswoman, and, and we ended up working together, and it became sort of a family endeavor. Mm. All of our kids worked for us at one point, and so we started seeing our patients as, as kind of something that we did to, we took care of together and, mm. and that made it more human for me so rather than being kind of a super specialist as a neurosurgeon i was sort of a like a family practice doctor who happened to do brain surgery on these people and so and so when i would encounter somebody with a fatal brain cancer mm. like my wife knew his wife or you know we we were going to see them at church like it was a small town so yeah. it became real people to me and not just diagnoses and, yeah. and so that connected me on a, on a deeper level with them and and therefore um it was almost almost universal we prayed with patients mm. we talked about faith we talked about hope mm. we talked about reasons to keep fighting in spite of the poor prognosis um and it really just kind of changed the arc of my career as a surgeon hmm. absolutely and um so so yeah so in your and I, I guess i haven't said the the name of your book yet uh, i've seen the end of you a neurosurgeon's look at faith doubt and the things we think we know. Um, so for this particular uh, diagnosis, um, you mentioned that there's uh, that it's you know almost zero percent chance of of surviving. So like how how do these how does this conversation look like with the I'm sure there's a few conversations with the patient and with the the family that are that is there or the people that mean mean the most to that person. Um, I'm sure it can be a lot to to deal to kind of see this all at once 
and have it be so sudden. That's right. I mean, you know, the the thing is that what I learned over the years is that cancer is not the most fatal thing that can happen to somebody. The most fatal thing that can happen to you is hopelessness. Like, yeah. like if you give up. And so if you've got a bad prognosis or bad diagnosis and I tell you that and you just lose heart, mm. then you will wither away and you'll die. You may you may still live out the same number of days, but your heart will be dead from day one. And so what I've learned is if you can convince people that there's still reasons to hope and fight mm. and, and work on their family and, and work on their marriage and spend time with their kids and just, you know, pray and fight, mm. their quality of life is better even if they don't survive the illness. And then I started seeing another group of people who they might survive, they might have a different diagnosis and they might survive it, but the, the encounter with mortality or the hard thing that they went through sort of gutted them. And even if they later recovered, they ended up sort of miserable and, and washed, you know, on the rocks of despair sort of. So, so I learned that this, this idea that if you don't find something to hope in again, if you don't find a way to rekindle your faith, then no matter what happens to your body, your spirit is in trouble. So one of the ways I counsel people then was, look, there's there are things to hope for and things to fight for. Um, some of them are spiritual and some of them are, are personal and family. But another one is like tangible things. Like there's research going on, right? There's nerds and labs working on this problem. And if you're fighting and you're staying healthy and you're doing everything you can, then someday somebody's going to cure this thing. I want you to be alive and ready to fight that battle when that cure becomes available so had all kinds of different ways to try to get people off of the circumstance oh, i've got cancer everything's terrible yeah. the end is near to something they could latch on to and hope for and that seems to make a huge difference yeah absolutely do, do, do you find and I, again I, I i haven't been in this situation and I, i'm sure a lot of listeners have not in, been in this situation so just trying to um Trying to think about maybe the the emotions or the or what comes for these patients. What what are what are some if you know for for people who may, may not be in this situation but are um, dealing with uh, some serious um, illnesses or something that you know where death does come into the equation. What are what are some ways that you help people manage and 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 offer hope for 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 the future? Well, the first thing is you know. You, there are lots of things that we think we know, right? Yeah. Like as a physician, I've seen a lot of things, a lot of cases where the books say one thing and my experience says that thing is true and this, this always happens this way. And then God does something different. Yeah. The patient does something different. So there's, there's always a reason to hope that your prayers will be answered or that some other outcome will come along. Um, the other thing is you, you, you kind of move the target of what your life is about. Like even if you really do have a fatal diagnosis, like do you want the story of your life to be somebody telling all the things that happened to you or do you want it to be the story of how you evolved and grew and changed and overcame those things, how you managed those things that occurred in your life? Because the fact is, Tyler, all of us are going to die someday. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no 200-year-old people walking around the earth. So, so there's going to come a time when all of us encounter something that we can't beat in the physical realm, which is why mm -hmm. we hope for the resurrection, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's going to come that time. So you better build your hope on something that can't be taken from you, on something else that's not so temporary. Yeah. 
and and when when we kind of when we do put our hope in the things uh, of the resur- in light of the resurrection and 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 in the world to come, how what changes in our life, uh, at least through these patients, do you see? Do you see some of these patients really change their priorities or change what matters to them? I do, and you know, I, I mean, it should be said too because not everybody believes in God and not everybody has a, a faith in right. in an afterlife. But even those people, even if you're not a believer, it is important. It's vital if you want to have a high quality of life for the length of the life that you have. It is vital that you put your hope, that you find something to hope in. And maybe that's uh, fixing a relationship that needs to be squared away before yeah, you pass. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's you know leaving behind a legacy for your children. Maybe it's writing down your story so your grandkids can know. That, but there's some something that you need to attach some hope to and, and fight for because the length of your days can't be in your control, but the quality surely can. Absolutely. So, so you you mentioned uh, relationships in uh, in particular. Is there is there any examples of uh, of you know? And obviously, you don't need to name names, but patients that have um, maybe really seen breakthrough in some aspects of their life um, when they started to consider, or you know, when when they found that this truly wasn't the end of them. If that makes sense. Yeah, you know the. The story in the book I told about a patient that I called Joey in the book that wasn't his real name, but yeah. um, Joey was a guy who his whole life was kind of down and out. He, um, his father had left when he was young, and his mom had died, and he was a drug addict and actually sold drugs to other people, and it was just kind of a, a person that you would look at and, and label as sort of a bad yeah. person, a loser, you know, that kind of person. And Joey was angry and he was bitter, and when he. Um, found out he had a brain tumor it was like of course i do you know my whole life is like that everything everything that's going to happen to me is going to be bad but over the course of his illness and the story unfolds i don't want to give away the ending of it because it's a great great story but but as as the story unfolds the love of his grandmother and the and the persistence of a hospital chaplain opened his heart up somehow the lord sort of cracked him open and in the last year of his life while his body was getting weaker he said it was the best year he'd ever had because he mended some relationships with his family and he and he found some hope and he found love and then he found faith and for him his whole life was now about something that mattered rather than just all these painful circumstances that he had gone through Wow, very very powerful, um, and I, I've had the chance to read some of your book, um, and I'm really impressed with the, just with your writing and how you're able to um, uh, provide a bit more, uh, uh, rather just your your excellence and your um, your craft of writing. Can you tell me about uh, how writing how this the, writing this book maybe was a little bit different than the the past books you've uh, you, you you wrote? Yeah, so. Yeah, my first book, I, I wrote really the first edition of it was self-published, and I wrote it really, like I said, my wife sort of insisted that yeah. I start journaling, and it was sort of a family and friends kind of, here's some stuff that I went through, and maybe it'll help you. Yeah. Um, and that book ended up in the hands of Philip Yancey, who uh, is a Christian writer that yeah. has meant a lot to me, and he sold, I don't know, 50 million books probably. He's a well-known Christian writer. And he read it, and he, and he said, hey, 
your writing's not very good. <laughs> you know, this is a great story. Yeah. You've got a lot to say to people, but you need to write it better. And yeah. he actually suggested that I get a ghostwriter, which I just couldn't I couldn't tolerate that idea. So I spent a, a couple of years and, and read everything I could find about writing and wrote a lot and hired an editor to help me and coach me. And I basically wrote that book again and wrote it well enough that he helped me find an agent and we got that book published. <laughs> But during the process of all of that, while I was learning how to write, I was also studying these people who were encountering hard things. And I was trying to figure out, if you've got a, a disease that I can't fix as a surgeon, then I still need to be able to doctor you. And like all these other things we've talked about, the way that I can doctor you is to help, your, help you handle the circumstance and still have a quality of life that's acceptable to you. And so I was studying how people handle hard things and, and learning to write about it. And just about the time I thought, I was ready to tell that story of how I had learned how people can handle hard things in a better way. That's when our son died. And so my 19-year-old son was killed. And basically, I, everything I thought I knew about how to help people turned out not to be very helpful. And I had to learn as a grieving, a bereaved parent and as a husband, uh, uh, you know, as a couple who had lost a child and as a father to other kids who lost a sibling, like we had to learn how to walk through that, that darkness together. Um, and so then when I, when I did start moving forward, I found my feet again, found my faith again, started walking toward the light again. Then I realized that I had to tell that story in a way that, um, reflected the things that I had learned since I had actually been through something like that. Yeah. And I'd been to war and I'd been through a divorce. I'd been through a lot of hard things before. Yeah. But losing a child is, you know, God forbid that happens to anybody listening out there, but it's just yeah. the worst thing you can imagine. Um, and, and so having having gone through that changed the way that I doctored people now. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's super important. Uh, the, the, your own experience and your ability to uh, to just I think it, there's a new sense of passion, a new sense of purpose that comes out of um, out of that that uh, people who have an experience that are not able to to write about. Um, and and I think you know as you mentioned a go you know I, I think a, for a ghostwriter I'm sure it would, be, it would be a little bit more challenging to to have the voice that you want to get behind that. Uh, of the right. the intention that you're that you're hoping for, um, I, I just wanted to just to wrap just to wrap up of anything uh, rather uh, maybe one or two things that you that you're hoping readers can uh, can can take away from this book. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean the first thing is the first thing is that Christians especially struggle when we doubt. We think we're not supposed to have doubt. We think our faith is supposed to be strong enough that, that nothing will make us doubt whether God's real or God loves us. And I would the first thing I would say is the Bible is full of examples of God wanting us to tell him about our doubts and our fears. The whole Old Testament, and Psalms and Jeremiah and Job and Lamentations, all are examples of God being okay with us expressing our doubts. Mm -hmm. And in the New Testament, I think the most honest guy in the whole Bible is that guy that comes to Jesus, I think it's in Mark, and he says, you know, my son's dying, can you help him? You know, do something for him if you can. And Jesus says, hey, everything's possible if you believe. Mm -hmm. And here's the most honest line in the Bible. This guy says, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. Yeah. 
So like at the same time, he's believing and doubting at the same time. And Jesus says, that's okay. And that's where you will land if you lose a child or if you develop a brain tumor or something else hard happens. You're going to doubt whether God's real, whether he loves you, whether you can muster the fight that you need to, to mount the fight against this thing. And I would just, I would leave readers, leave listeners with this idea that doubt is okay. Doubt's not your enemy. Um, Doubt can lead to greater faith if you allow God to speak into it. And the second thing is, I guess, if you wanted two things, the second and most important one probably is, like I said before, cancer is not as deadly as hopelessness. And hope is really a decision. You're going to decide, even if it's as dark as you think it can get, that there's still light out there somewhere. And if you'll just keep taking little steps, the sun's going to rise again. God's going to touch someplace and make you see light again. And there is hope. There's ability to have hope all the time. And hope is really the first dose of the drug that can save your life or rescue the quality of your life. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, thank you so much for your your time today, um, Dr. Warren. I'm really grateful uh, to hear more about about your story and your journey. And uh, I hope that re- listeners can have a chance to pick up a copy. Where where can people find you, uh, grab the book, and, and just kind of stay in touch? Great. Well, the book's available everywhere books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local booksellers. Yeah. Um, I actually narrated the audio version myself. Um, awesome. So it's out there, too, on Audible. Um, my website, wleewarrenmd.com. Um, I write a weekly newsletter that's read in 40 countries and all 50 states every Sunday, so people can connect that way. Mm. have uh, the Dr. Lee Warren podcast is everywhere you can find a podcast. So I'm out there uh, trying to help people find hope. Yeah. I'd love to hear from people. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's been an absolute joy, um, and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you, Tyler. It's been great to be with you. God bless you.